We are in Isaiah chapter 48 today, which really concludes a section of Isaiah verses or chapters 40 through 48, have a, uh, a theme that we've been addressing. And that theme has been that Babylon, a yet future uh, captor to Judah, will be overrun by a yet future King Cyrus, whose name was named centuries before he existed. God is calling it in advance, so Israel will know that God is doing this, and Israel will return. Uh, this is all future. And why does God say this in advance? Why does he emphasize that he's saying this in advance? Because life is headed somewhere. All of this is headed somewhere, but the path is not an easy path. God will want Israel to return to her land, but Israel is going to be very comfortable in Babylon. Israel is going to need faith to obey God and do what he wants to do because the, uh, the right thing to do is not going to be the easy thing to do. It's not going to be desirable on the face of it other than in obedience to God. And uh, as we look at today's text, let's look at, uh, we're in Isaiah chapter 48. Let's read the 22 verses of this chapter. Isaiah 48, verse number 1. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord, and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. For they call themselves after the holy city, and stay themselves on the God of Israel, the Lord of hosts is his name. The former things I declared of old. They went out from my mouth, and I announced them, then suddenly I did them. And they came to pass, because I know that you are obstinate, and your neck is an iron sinew, and your forehead brass. I declared them to you from of old, before they came to pass, I announced them to you, lest you should say, my idol did them, my carved image and my metal image commanded them. You have heard, now see all this, and will you not declare it? From this time forth, I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. They are created now, not long ago. Before today, you have never heard of them, lest you should say, behold, I knew them. You have never heard, you have never known, from of old, your ear has not been opened. For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously, and that from before birth you were called a rebel. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, whom I called. I am he, the first and the last. My hand laid the foundation of the earth. And my right hand spread out the heavens. When I called to them, they stand together. Assemble all of you and listen. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. I believe this is Cyrus. He shall perform his purpose on Babylon, and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken and called him. I have brought him, and he shall prosper in his way. Draw near to me and hear this. From the beginning, I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. 
I am the Lord of your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your offspring would have been like sand and your descendants like grains. Their name would never be cut off or destroyed from before me. Go out from Babylon. Flee from Chaldea. Declare this with a shout of joy. Proclaim it. Send it out to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow for them from the rock. He split the rock and the water gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Let's pray. God, as we look at this conclusion, this section of Isaiah, uh, Lord, you have spoken of things that were yet to be, and you had a purpose in doing so. Lord, your prophecies have a purpose that when your word is fulfilled, man can marvel And man can know that all of this is going somewhere, that your word is true, that you truly did lay the foundations of the world. And Father, you are truly bringing everything to a glorious, happy conclusion. I pray, Lord, that you would build our faith, that you would sustain and strengthen us in our walk with you. And Father, much like the nation of Israel had to leave their comforts in Chaldea, in Babylon, and return to a pile of rubble, called Jerusalem, I pray that you would help us to pick up our cross and follow our Savior in every way you have appointed for us. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. As we uh, begin here, God warns people who say one thing and do another, citing that he, not their idols, foretold these events. Uh, If we look at verse number one, he's addressing Israel. He says, hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. So these are people who say one thing and do another. They, they, they do not behave consistently with what they would declare in terms of their faith. He continues to talk about how they do identify themselves with God. In verse 2, he says, For they call themselves after the holy city and stay themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. But uh, these are not righteous people. Verse 3, the former things I declared of old. They went out from my mouth and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them and they came to pass. So God's inviting them to look back in history and say, I've, I've had other prophecies and they've come true in the past. You better believe what I'm talking about here is going to come true as well. Verse number 4, why does God do this? Why does God demonstrate things like this in history? Verse 4, because I know that you are obstinate. And that your neck is an iron sinew. Sinews, I guess, are supposed to be flexible so that you can turn your head. Not Israel. They are stubborn. Their their face is fixed, and they are not going to turn it for God. And your forehead is brass. I just take that to be that you are hard-headed. Verse 5, I declare them to you from of old. Before they came to pass, I announced them to you, lest you should say my idol did them. See, there's competition for credit in the good things of people's lives. My carved image and my metal image commanded them. Uh, there are, and so we see here in verse number one that, that, that they, they call themselves by God, God's name, but their lives aren't entirely consistent with God. Uh, they, they do not walk up rightly. They are not righteous people. And then by the time we get down to verse number five, we see one of the core issues is idolatry. 
uh, that they don't give God the glory when things go well in life, that they, they, they think they're lucky rabbit's foot, they, they think they're lucky stars, or in this day and age, we, we skip with all the superstition and we just think we're good. <laughs> yeah, you know, I kind of figured it out in life. I made a way for myself in life and I am good. See, the, the, the pride in idolatry, when, when in, in antiquities, when you said, oh, you know, my idol, this beautiful idol that I've crafted out of valuable, precious uh, materials, uh, this idol is the reason. Well, that idol is the fabrication of your own hands. So in the end, in antiquities, what you were doing was you're giving yourself credit. In modern era, we skip with the superstition, we skip with the idols, and we just go right to self. Uh, we are in love with ourselves. We worship ourselves. We think, you know what? I'm pretty good. I pulled this off. Again, go figure. You know, uh, it, it, uh, all of it, we, uh, in antiquities, you had temple prostitutes. You had festivals and feasts that were about gluttony and drunkenness. Well, today, modern man skips the idolatry, goes right to the prostitutes, right to the drunkenness, right to the gluttony, just because we want it. We don't need a pretense. We don't need an excuse. Child sacrifice, which again in antiquities was mainly females and deformed babies when they go back and look at the digs of the skeletons and the remains of those child sacrifices. Today, we just go right for the abortion and kill the baby inside of us. So understand, whenever we're looking at idolatry in the Old Testament, I think a lot of times we could just look at self in our era. That, that, that God is saying here in verse number five, I declared what was going to happen of old so that when it happened, you will not say, my idol did this. My idol delivered us from Babylon. No, no, no. God named the name Cyrus century, over a century ago. And, and so you can only credit God for this. We love to brag on ourselves. We love to think highly of ourselves, and it's rather pathetic. The only person in the room who doesn't know he's a braggart is the one who is bragging. Everybody else is getting a little uncomfortable or a little tired of hearing about the person talking about himself or herself. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're politely wishing to get out of the room. Or the rude ones are kind of exchanging knowing glances with other people in the room. Here we go again. The braggart impresses only himself. God wants you to know that anything you have, he gave you. And he gets the glory. These people are described here as rebellious. They have a stiff neck, iron sinews, a brass, a forehead made of brass. Um, rebellion is a refusal to obey God. It's not simply missing out on God's best. It is an active refusal to obey God. You know what God would have you to do, but you are going to do something else. You have already decided it. And before you even open the word of God, before any godly person gives you any counsel, you know what you're going to do. That's rebellion. And if you are flying in the face of God with your actions, it's not going to end well. We could jump right to the end of the chapter. Verse number 22 ends rather abruptly. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. There is no peace for the wicked. So we already know how this is going to end. We're just waiting for you to realize it if you're in a spirit of rebellion today. What God has announced is something new that will refine his people for his glory in verses 6 through 11. Something new and it will refine his people. I was angry with my people. I profaned my heritage. I gave them into your hand. 
you showed, oops, I'm sorry, I'm in verse, I'm in chapter, uh, I'm, uh, wrong chapter, let me get to the right one. Verse number six, you have heard, now see all this. You will not, and will you not declare it? From this time forth, I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. They are created now, not long ago. Before today, you never heard of them. That would include, I believe, the name Cyrus uh, that we saw a few weeks ago. Uh, you've never heard of them, lest you should say, behold, I knew them. You have never heard, you have never known from of old year has not been opened. For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously and that from before birth you were called a rebel. Now, before birth you were called a rebel. I don't know if this is a reference to Jacob grabbing on to the heel of his brother Esau. Before he came out of the womb, there was a hand on Esau's ankle and that was thought to be somebody who is an ankle tripper who as you're running, he grabs your ankle and trips you. And, and, uh, and, and so Jacob was named after that. But, but that would be a word picture for how Israel and really mankind has a predisposition towards sin and rebellion from birth. Verse 9, for my namesake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrained it for you that I may not cut you off. So God does not destroy Israel. He has every right to, but he does not destroy Israel for his namesake. He made some commitments to Abraham. Verse 10, behold, I have refined you. But not as silver. This is not refining in a fire. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. That's going to include this Babylon exile. That's going to be a time of affliction. And it's going to have a refining effect on Israel. Verse 11. For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profane? My glory I will not give to another. So an alternative to destruction, God is going to choose patience and refining through the furnace of affliction. Uh, a very slow process to change hearts. And Israel is unique among nations. Uh, they're, they're, I suppose with the disbanding of the USSR, you could say there are nations that were totally disbanded and then reformed after the USSR was disbanded. But Israel is very unique. I don't know how many nations have been totally carried away out of their, out of their homeland. And what was left behind was just a pile of stones, Nationwide, I mean, a few people, a few vagabonds left behind, but nothing that would support life. So much so that in the early 1900s, people would ridicule the Bible stories about the prosperity of Israel and, and the agriculture of Israel because Israel was such a wasteland in the early 1900s. It, it could not support any agriculture to speak of. Today, they're one of the leading exporters of produce. But, but the idea was laughable in the early 20th century. And, and so likewise with the Babylon exile, as we see a description of what they went back to in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, it was an undesirable pile of rubble. There was nothing to go back to. There was no kingship. There was no palace. There was no prestige. There, were, there, were, there was no infrastructure, no comforts. And yet Israel went back and reformed the nation after the Babylon exile. I don't know how many times you see that in history. That sounds really unique to me. And Israel's done it twice. After the Babylonian exile. And then, uh, then uh, theologians who were talking about the book of Revelation and the events of Revelation and the events of prophecy unfolding yet in the future, people would laugh in the early 20th century because there was no Israel. And there never would ever again be a literal Israel on the face of the earth. So any literal interpretation of prophecy was laughable in the face of it in the early 20th century. 
And yet, Israel is a nation again. That that even happened once, I think, is remarkable. That it happened a second time is the hand of God. And, and, and so you, as you read prophecy and as you study it, you can understand it. It is there. God declared these things so that they could be seen. And Christians going through trials and making difficult choices could know that you are a part of something bigger. You are a part of a larger narrative. This is going somewhere. And it's something that you can see through prophecy. And so, yes, I have a very literal bent towards the prophetic future. Today's prophecies are written about Cyrus so that a generation of Israel would know that God is God and this is all going somewhere. The reconstitution of the nation of Israel is just such a delight. 1948, I think, is the date that officially it took place. 1948. That doesn't tell us anything about a date for the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It just speaks to the sovereignty of God's hand in moving human events somewhere. And just as Israel needed encouragement to obey God, to leave Babylon, and to return to their land, you and I need encouragement to do what Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. So many of the decisions of my life don't look like picking up a cross. Some of them do. Those are good decisions. But we need to know that this is going somewhere because we're, we're, we're foregoing what would otherwise be the easier, more desirable choice in this world. God repeats his status here in point number three as creator as he repeats the prophecy concerning Babylon's destruction to assure his people that he has matters under control. We need to hear this. It's a delight that we're going down to the Creation Science Museum this afternoon, several of us. Uh, stand fast in uh, uh, verse number 12. I keep going back to the previous chapter. Uh, verse number 12. Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel whom I called. I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. My hand laid the foundation of the earth. Now, as a young Christian, as a teenager, I just took that at face value. God said it. I believe it. But I was a public school student, and Evolution was taught like gravity. It was taught as if it's a law of science. I came to realize later it's a theory of science that actually goes against some important laws of science, like biogenesis, thermodynamics, principles of science like entropy. Uh, so, you know, I, I learned that later in life. And, and, and really, it was uh, John Whitcomb's The Genesis Flood that kind of freed me to love science. Uh, it was written in the early 80s, and it, it was actually a scientific approach to paleontology and fossils. And I was like wow, I don't have to be ashamed of the Bible in the face of science. And, and so what a delight. But, but God reminds us here, and he reminds Israel, my hand laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand together. Assemble all of you and listen. Who among them, and I think that them there is the false gods, the idols that people have built themselves. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him, and I think the, uh, um, the antecedent to him there is Cyrus. The Lord loves him. He shall perform his purpose on Babylon, and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. Cyrus is going to do this. This whole chapter is 40 through 48. I, even I, have spoken and called him. I have brought him, and he will prosper in his way. 
Now, in verse 16, at some point, I think Isaiah's voice steps in here. Draw near to me, hear this from the beginning. I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. That could be the voice of God, but look at verse, this next phrase. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. Who is the me there? I'm, that, my best understanding is that is Isaiah. That's a little bit difficult sometimes to trace the antecedents to pronouns in the Bible like that. But in verse 12, we see that this is addressed to Jacob. Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, whom I have called. And then he reminds us in verse number 13 that he is creator and that is just such an important reminder, and it is so refreshing to go to this science museum and this ark that we're going to go to uh, this afternoon, and uh, those of you who are joining me, and just, just consider and ponder the reality of God's word and what it says. And verse 14 through 16, Israel is to draw together and to draw near to God to do his bidding. Uh, let's go here to point number four. God laments the mispossibilities for his people Israel and for their children. In verses 17 through 19, dwells a little bit on what would have been, what could have been. And, and that always paints a sad picture. In verse 17, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river. We had a uh, young man uh, who's a, a film student up in uh, Invergroves Community College, uh, and he wanted some woods to do his filming in for a Sasquatch video he's doing. So he was there on Friday. I gave him a tour on Thursday of the property, and we went down to the river behind the house, and there's a little island where you could just be out there in this little island. Um, and and I, we talked about I said, but one thing you'll have if you're using live audio is you'll have the sound of the river, the trickling, and that's such a peaceful sound. That just does not lend itself to, you know, a Sasquatch horror film. You know, I said, maybe you want to take a, a hornet's nest and, and audio tape that and put that in the background and have the buzzing of hornets. You know, that, that would be something that would be terrifying. But a river is just peaceful. And, and that's what God uses to describe what would have been for Israel. Oh, that you had been paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river. Let me tell you something. If you're thinking about rebelling against God right now and you've got your own plans... This is what you're sacrificing. You're sacrificing peace like a river for the turmoil of the world, for the scars and the bruises and the bloodiness of sin in your life. Oh, that your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like a waves of the sea, just righteousness that just keeps giving as those waves pour in. And then you have this. And, and, you know, raising kids, you might think, oh, you know, my, I can't wait till they're 18 and out of the house and then my worries are free. <laughs> if you believe that, <laughs> you are very naive, all right? Um, your offspring would have been like the sand and your descendants like its grains, in other words, prosperous and numerous. Their name would never be cut off or destroyed from before me. Oh, what would have been for the offspring of Israel had they obeyed God. It's beneficial to follow God in your life, to pick up your cross and follow Jesus Christ. Christians, you don't get a pass from math. You don't get a pass from budgeting. But I have been shocked at the clear blessings of following God's leading at many junctures of my life when the decisions were based on his word and principles rather than on dollar bills and rather than on chasing the things that I want. The, um, the wreck and the ruin of sin. 
Uh, we want to walk with God. We want to teach our children to walk with God. This includes using your Bible in your home to make your decisions. This includes praying over events in your life and asking for God's leading, waiting on Him. This includes letting your children see your obedience. Let them see you turning from the world and turning toward your Savior. It certainly includes uh, being involved in, in God's manifestation of His body in this world, which is the local church. It might even be the way your drinking buddies no longer have the time of day for you since you don't drink anymore. Uh, the way that you aren't invited to certain events and social activities at work when your coworkers are. Just simply because you live your life differently. You live it righteously. And if your children see that, that can be a very good thing for them. It, it might also be the priority you place on serving God in your local church, ver church versus chasing every weekend alternative for fun and entertainment. And it probably looks a bit like simplicity in your life uh, compared to the households of most Americans and most people in our neighborhood. God reminds Israel that they can trust him to flee from Babylon at the appointed time. They need to hear this. <laughs> they really need to hear this. Uh, that he will provide. And then he ends with a stern warning that, that just, it's stark. Verse number 22 just kind of jumps out. It almost looks like uh, it's something that was added to the text that has nothing to do with the context, but it's totally in the context. Look at verse uh, number 20. Go from Babylon, flee from Chaldea, declare this with a shout of joy, proclaim it. Send it out to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. So at the end of your years in Chaldea, you're to shout this out with joy. Hey, all of these homes we built, this wonderful, comfortable life we have, let's leave it. Let's go because God has declared it. Where are we going? We're going to a pile of stones in the hot, arid area of Jerusalem. There's nobody there but a few vagabonds and jackals and owls and vultures. In verse uh, 21, this is the promise, and, and, it, and it echoes back, I believe, to the, uh, the departure uh, from, from Egypt. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow for them from the rock. He split the rock, and water gushed out. So God did a miracle and provided for them. So that's a reminder. As you leave Babylon, God can split the rock and make water come out for you. And then verse 22, this stark warning, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. People who call themselves by the name of God but behave entirely differently. People who disobey God and disobey God's leading and God's will. Now, why would it be so hard to leave Babylon? You would think there are captors. They're, they, they, they're, they're the people who exiled us and were their prisoners in the land for over 70 years now. Well, listen to what Jeremiah said before Israel went to Babylon. This comes from Jeremiah 29, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives to your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Now that's not give your sons and daughters to the Babylonians. That's Continue with life 
and grow as a nation in Babylon. And he continues, Jeremiah says, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So God says, look, you are in for exile. And here's my advice to you, Israel. Go to Babylon, build houses, plant gardens, have lives, establish it, make that your home, pray for its well-being, promote Babylon's success because its success will be your success. And now 70 years later, people have success. They, they have a living. They have a home that they have built. They have gardens. They're comfortable. What's Jerusalem like? It's a wasteland. And you will read in Nehemiah, when they go back to rebuild, uh, there's not a welcoming party. There's opposition. Going back to Jerusalem will not, in this world's view, be a desirable place to go. It will not be a desirable work to do. But here's the deal. God has said over a century before there would be a King Cyrus and Cyrus would destroy Babylon. And that is your marker, Israel, that it is time to go back, to go to the work, to, to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the temple, and to give your life in a very hard way to something that is much bigger than your comforts in Babylon. It's time to fall in line and obey God, go back to Jerusalem. And that's why we have verse number 22, just a reminder. The word peace, by the way, means more than the absence of warfare. It means prosperity. Verse 22, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. God had just finished recounting his deliverance to Egypt, his provisions, his blessings. It sounds a lot like church talk. God will bless you. God will be with your children. God hears our prayers. But wait, none of that is true for those who disobey God. You have no claim to the blessings of God if you are living in rebellion to God. Too many Christians treat Jesus like Santa Claus or the tooth fairy. It's all going to work out. God just loves you and practically owes you a nice life. That is not true. Christians endure a sin-cursed world like everyone else. Peter said, judgment, in fact, begins at the household of God. And if the righteous seldom escape, what does that mean for the ungodly? It means hell is real. The sufferings of this lifetime, the things we go through, are part of the general curse of sin. Christians don't get a pass from that. And yet how many Christians, when they get a taste of that, when they get a taste of the sin-cursed world, blame God? And out of the context of someone who is not serving God, not obeying God, but living rebelliously. You and I are called to pick up our cross and follow him. There is no peace for the wicked. Who are the wicked again? They're the idolaters, loving something they created more than God, really loving themselves more than God. There are those who would choose to remain in the comforts of Babylon rather than obey God and go to the work in the land. There will be great peace in obeying God and no peace for the wicked who stayed in the comforts of Babylon. So as we look at today's text, God's wrapping up a challenge to Israel. God created the world. He foretold world history. You can go back and see events that have come true, and you can be assured. You can also see events that have not yet 
come true, and yet you can see the table being set for those events to happen. You can know that God called this. At a time when mankind said, that prophecy's ridiculous, it'll never happen because of this, this, and this, all of a sudden, God's removed those excuses. God's up to something. I've lived enough of this life. I've raised enough kids, five. Built enough businesses to know that this life does not satisfy and those things are not what this life is about. I've obeyed God enough to know that there is great peace in doing so. I've also reached for my idols enough to know that there is no peace in my lusts. We are part of a greater narrative. This is going somewhere. God created, God foretold openly that Jerusalem we would be reconstituted then and now. And you and I have many opportunities to say no to this world and put our lives on the line for the gospel. Take you back to our church mission statement, love God. What are you doing right now that shows your love of God to yourself, to your family, and to the world? Love one another. How are you loving the people of God? Love the lost. How are you showing compassion to the lost who do not know the Lord? who do not know the gospel, who have not come to the truth to submit to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for your creation, for your hand that is evident in creation. Lord, there's just no way random chance explains the wonders of creation. God, we thank you for your hand in prophecy. Everything from the first coming of Christ to how the table is being set for the second coming of Christ. Lord, your hand, uh, your, your word declared these things and your hand is bringing them about. I pray, Lord, that you would steal our resolve to turn from self, the idols of self. Help us, Father, to be resolved to obey you. And, Father, to pick up our cross and follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would help us to identify our lusts, our idols. And I pray that you would help us to forsake those and to serve you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.